0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We don't talk about reptiles a great deal on Radio Parallax. And by that we mean the creatures with scales, not law degrees. And it's fair to say we talk about the crocodilians even less. However, in recent months, we did mention both. The fact that uh, a researcher had determined that crocodiles can, in fact, climb trees and use sticks as lures to capture birds. It turns out the person who was behind both those pieces of research, Dr. Vladimir Donets, will be joining us in our second segment to talk about his most interesting research we have so much ground to cover today, so let's jump right into On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 20th of March, which does mark this year the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, and the first day of autumn, if you're listening in New Zealand. It was, in fact, on March 20th in the year 71 that a total eclipse of the sun plunged Greece into darkness, and may have prompted the Greek writer Plutarch to write that the phenomenon, quote, showed us plainly many stars in all parts of the heavens and produced a chill in the temperature like that of twilight, unquote. And by the way, any listeners in New York who happened to catch the occultation of the star Regulus earlier this morning at about 2 a.m., please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Sad day in the history of science. On March 20th in 1727, the great English physicist and mathematician Sir Isaac Newton who was the leading figure of the 17th century scientific revolution, died in London. Newton was without a doubt a singular figure in the history of the world. When Michael Hart wrote a book many years back trying to assess the 100 most influential persons in history, he ranked Newton second. He came in only behind Muhammad and, amazingly, one place ahead of Jesus. Hart's reasoning was that Christianity owed its debt to both Jesus and St. Paul. Whether you agree with that or not, we highly recommend taking a look at Michael Hart's The 100. On March 20th in 1854, American anti-slavery activists founded the Republican Party in order to fight the spread of slavery into the Western territories of the United States. Yes, believe it or not, the Republican Party originally started out as a party advocating civil liberties. And it was 11 years ago today, March 20th, 2003, that American cruise missiles and planes opened a second war in 12 years against Iraq with an attack against targets in Baghdad, including specific individuals in the Iraqi leadership. seems like yesterday that Mr. Meblin and I were here with our guest, Stephen Valentino, as the U.S. military's shock and awe campaign began against Baghdad. Within the first few minutes of the bombs falling, there was a lot of, uh, of eager speculation that they may have taken Saddam Hussein out. Apparently, one particularly large bomb had leveled an office building. In fact, it apparently leveled an entire city block. But alas, the rumor that Saddam Hussein was inside proved to be untrue. All they found were body parts of other people. And it's probably worth a moment to pause and wonder why it is that conservative jackasses are all hot and bothered about what Vladimir Putin's trying to do over in Crimea. I would think they would be, um, you know, in favor of violent aggression, particularly against nations that hadn't attacked you. I mean, after all, Iraq never attacked us and we went to war against it. And Russia at least does have a pretty plausible claim on the Crimea. Not to say the vote this weekend, not to say the vote this past weekend was anything other than a sham... Nevertheless, contrary to what any websites uh, referred to by Capital Public Radio may imply, we're not likely to go to World War III over Crimea, to which we would add, thank God. Again, not to condone what's going on over there, but it's just that there's just an awful lot of hypocritical politicians mouthing off currently, which is to say, of course, that things are status quo. I think we'll have more to say about politicians before this show is up. And our quote of the day, appropriately enough, comes from H.L. Mencken, who once said, if a politician found he had cannibals among his constituents, he would promise them missionaries for dinner. Our quip of the day comes from the late Johnny Carson, who said people will pay more to be entertained than educated. Our bonus quip of the day comes from a description of the movie Enter the Dragon, which evidently aired on one of the movie channels earlier this week. The Week magazine referred to it as the Citizen Kane of Hong Kong martial arts flicks. For our joke of the day, we will take one from the late David Brenner. Sadly, he passed away earlier this week, but let's harken back to one of his finer moments on David Letterman's program. I was at the hotel, this is weird, right before I came over and I was listening to the news and a commercial came on and I wasn't really paying attention to it until what caught my ear were the side effects. So I wrote it down on my hotel, this true, on my hotel key. I wrote down, here, here I, I don't know what the product, it sounded something like Zoloft. That's a kind of pill, Zoloft or something. But here are the, here are the side effects. Dry mouth, insomnia, diarrhea, <laughs> and sexual problems. <laughs> now, of course you're going to have sexual problems if you have a dry mouth and diarrhea. <laughs> I do have to tag on something to what uh, Brenner just had to say about uh, Zoloft. Doctors have to do a certain amount of continuing medical education every year to maintain a medical license in the state of California, which is only appropriate. I was doing some this past weekend. It was a conference uh, devoted to pharmacotherapy. And I was struck by one of the lecturers, a psychiatrist, talking about the efficacy of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which does include Zoloft. He made passing mention to their efficacy, saying that they were, they were pretty good drugs, something which we in this program might dispute and have disputed. But he was mentioning the fact that, you know, like all drugs, these have side effects. The SSRIs, he noted in one of his slides, did have some GI side effects, which were transient. They did have some neurological side effects, which were transient. And they had some urologic side effects, including erectile dysfunction, which were described as not transient. But as the slide flashed on the screen, he just kept on talking and kept on moving. Since his correspondent has a clinic which treats erectile dysfunction, I was tempted to raise my hand and go, just, just, just a second here. But I didn't, and then, and maybe I should have. The main problem with these drugs, as we've talked about in this program many times in the, in the past, is that uh, study after study does not seem to effectively demonstrate that they're better than Placebo no matter what this particular lecture may have said. And about a kajillion Americans are on them. And since I'm talking about this conference, allow me a slight digression. Another lecture was talking about mood disorders and what could be done about them. They presented the case that meditation turned out to be excellent for depression. Exercise turned out to be spectacularly good for dealing with depression. And the further good news was about. an And the further good news was that in referring to meditation, um, the description of meditation included a lot of meditative-type activities where you're just clearing your head. Personally, I think this explains the enduring popularity of things like gardening and knitting and perhaps even just getting lost in a good book. You're not in your head dealing with all of the strife and troubles that are around you. If you can do that, You're probably not going to be very depressed, but the stats on exercise were so astonishing. Uh, uh, The punchline to me seemed to be that doctors should be not prescribing pills, but instead should be getting people into health spas. The medical community should probably be operating health spas. I've been saying this for something like 20 years, and I'm glad to note that at this point in time, other countries, apparently not America, but I guess in Canada and in England, maybe some other places, doctors are now writing prescriptions to have patients go get physical therapy to deal with their depression. Well, it's about time. And this segues into our stat of the day, which is that being overweight or obese is now so common in European children that it has become the norm, according to the World Health Organization. One-third of Europe's 11-year-olds and a quarter of its 13-year-olds are overweight with the numbers reportedly being highest in the four countries' worst hit by austerity, Greece, Portugal, Ireland, and Spain. Our bonus stat is that apparently among Christians giving up something for the 40 days of Lent, 31% say they're fasting from technology, with 16% foregoing social media such as Facebook and Twitter. That's according to MarketWatch.com. For our anecdote of the day, I think we'll uh, make this a rather long one and let it serve as our obituary for David Brenner. To quote from our favorite blogger, Mark Evanier, it's a rare comedian who isn't hated by at least one of his peers. David Brenner was a rare comedian. When he was starting out, there was someone who didn't like his comedy because he wasn't nasty enough and he was often wearing a leisure suit. There was a flurry of such comics in the early 70s and a lot of them haven't worked since Make Me Laugh was canceled. But Brenner proved to have the chops and staying power, and he matured into a first-class monologist. Noted Mark, I don't think he quite got his due as a stand-up, but if you ever had a chance to see him live as I did, you know he was a first-rate storyteller. The last time I saw him, he did a long set that was hilarious and skillful. He started out telling story A, and halfway through, something he said took him off on a tangent, and suddenly he was telling story B, and that led him to story C and story D, and I think he got to story G before he finally finished one. But then the amazing thing was that the finish of story G led directly and unexpectedly to the conclusion of story F. And the end of story F led him seamlessly back to the denouement of story E, and so on. He was supposed to do exactly 45 minutes, and at 44 minutes and 10 seconds, he expertly finished story A to a huge explosive laugh and bowed off to 50 seconds of laughter. 45 minutes on the friggin' nose. And the guy, though he made it look natural and casual, knew exactly where he was every millisecond of the way. In follow-up piece, Mark Evanier said, I mentioned the other day that David Brenner was a real nice guy. Want proof? Here's a story involving the comedian Richard Lewis. After earning a marketing degree from Ohio State, Richard Lewis returned to New Jersey and spent five years working two, sometimes three jobs as an advertising copywriter, librarian, and sporting goods clerk. Not until his father died did Lewis decide to tackle his dream. He showed up for open mic and night in a Greenwich Village club. He soon found himself driving 50 to 100 miles a night to work suburban comedy clubs. It was comic David Brenner, now a close friend, who really gave him his big break. We're sitting in a deli and I'm saying, I can't take it, man. I'm working three jobs, sleeping two hours a night. David said, what do you need to be a comic full time? I said, a thousand bucks. He whipped out a check and gave it to me. I quit my jobs and I've never looked back seven year i'd heard that story for years someone i know asked brenner if it was so he said no i gave him cash i never carried checks Note seven year now that's a good human being all right let us combine our anecdote and good news sections into one in the form of this story note to the chicago tribune when tv huckster kevin trudeau stood in a packed federal courtroom to make one final sales pitch this last monday He hardly resembled the tan, dapper figure seen hawking miracle diets and natural cancer cures on so many late-night infomercials. After spending four months in jail for contempt of court, Trudeau's usual tailored suit was replaced by rumpled orange jail clothes. Trudeau had been jailed since November 12th when he was convicted by a federal jury of criminal contempt for lying in several infomercials about the content of his hit book, The Weight Loss Cure They Don't Want You to Know About. Prosecutors said he ignored a previous court order by describing the program as easy when it actually called for punishing caloric restrictions and a crippling list of food restrictions. Meanwhile, U.S. District Judge Robert Gettleman had repeatedly found Trudeau in civil contempt for failing to pay anything toward the $37 million fine imposed by the Federal Trade Commission in spite of continuing to live a lavish lifestyle. Prosecutors had cited Trudeau's history of fraud that went back to a state conviction in 1984. Said Assistant U.S. Attorney April Perry, he's a habitual liar and fraudster. As a result of the size of the fraud and Trudeau's two previous felony convictions, federal sentencing guidelines called for 20 to 25 years in prison. Last Monday, Trudeau told U.S. District Judge Ronald Guzman in a remorseful tone, If I ever write a book again, if I ever do another infomercial again, I promise, no embellishment, no puffery, and absolutely no lies. I know going forward I will be a better person. But the judge wasn't buying it. Noted the Tribune, a visibly irritated Guzman sentenced the best-selling author to ten years in prison, citing Trudeau's decades-long history of fraud and calling him deceitful to the core. Well, I gotta say, all this sounds okay with us. And on that note, let's jump into the good, the bad. Ugly. Let go. Let go. Let go. Let go. according to the week magazine it was a good week last week for delivery drones if not the rest of us with the news that a federal judge has ruled that the FAA did not have the authority to stop a Detroit florist from delivering flowers by drone. Said the florist's CEO, drones have arrived, adding that test deliveries will resume. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for Canadian eroticism, with the news that a broadcast regulator has reprimanded three Toronto-based erotica channels for not serving up the required 35 percent of Canadian content. Quipped globalnews.ca, the government wants to hear a few more A's along with the O's and ahs. This reminds us of the time back, I guess in the late 70s, when SCTV got reprimanded by authorities in Canada for not having inherently Canadian content. Reportedly, Rick Moranist asked them what he wants to do. Wear tukes, fry back bacon, and drink Molson. They, then they said, we don't care what you do as long as it's Canadian. And that's why they developed... Welcome to the Great White North. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother Doug. How's it going, okay, eh? Okay, our topic today is the Great White North because we got like lots of mail, eh? Like about it, eh? Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> this. By is the it. way, this topic was my idea. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> what? Lying. Okay, this is the Great White North. Okay, on the map. Now here is a different color because it's like USA. And up there, same color as Alaska, eh? Because that's like Hawaii. Finally, it was an ugly week maybe the past few months, for residents of Phoenix, Arizona. With the news that authorities in that town have reported receiving more than 6,000 calls from people who say they've been harassed by packs of feral, yapping chihuahuas. We have no way of knowing whether these are domestic chihuahuas or whether they've come across the border from Mexico. But I do want to say that any city that (laughs) seems to be terrorized by feral chihuahuas should probably just hang its head in shame. Boy, how about these items from the Only in America file? For the first, we have our, our pal Gary Chu to thank. He sent off a quote from Texas Representative Louis Gomert saying that yoga is Eastern and foreign to America. First Lady Michelle Obama encourages our youth to exercise and also study yoga, which big government wants, wants to use to control our freedom. I'm proud to announce that Santa Cruz, Texas, has passed an ordinance prohibiting the foreign yoga in public parks. And indeed, Gary included a photo saying, Yoga not allowed here. With the addendum, persons who engage in yoga will be cited for violating Santa Cruz Municipal Code, SCMC 1304010. Yeah, you know that that yoga was invented by Hindus. <laughs> we gonna let them people run rampant in our parks here in America? Gary also included a photo of Congressman uh, Gomert with the quote next to his picture, and I assume this is correctly uh, quoted, that tacos is Arab food too. Arab terrorists come here and are trained to act like Mexicans. Well, we, we, think, we think Congressman Gomer's on to something here. Are you sure the guy washing dishes back in the restaurant you're patronizing isn't an Arab terrorist? You may want to look into this. And speaking of nuts down in Texas, how about this item? Evidently, alleged rock star Ted Nugent called President Obama a subhuman mongrel on a Texas radio show last week. Ted Nugent's been uh, out campaigning with Republican Greg Abbott in, in a race to become the next governor of Texas. Of course, we all know what a prestigious post that is. Nugent apparently did a half hearted apology later, but Peter Wenner in Commentary Magazine noted. The fact that Republicans refuse to denounce Ted Nugent sends a clear message to voters. Either they really aren't offended by his calling Obama a subhuman mongrel or they're afraid of alienating segments of their base who share Nugent's repellent views. It's been noted that Republicans who've cozied up to Nugent in the past include Abbott, Governor Rick Perry, and Senator Ted Cruz. Then there's this from the Only in America file. Apparently a Colorado man who was rescued from his overturned car during a flood last year is now suing the first responders who saved his life. Roy Ortiz, who was trapped in floodwaters for two hours before divers freed him, said rescuers should have gotten to him sooner. Said Ortiz, I'm really happy to be alive, but I'm looking for some help in paying my bills. He wants $500,000 for his injuries and, quote, emotional distress, unquote. And, of course, where are you going to stick your harpoon to try and come up with $500,000? Well, why not sue the people that rescued you? They probably have insurance in deep pockets. All right, we need to take a break in a minute. One thing we're not going to talk about today is the alleged Big Bang waves being detected, which supposedly add evidence for the people's various theories of how the universe was born. I thought at first that maybe had someone had found the long-sought gravitational waves. They have not. What they've done is looked out at the microwave radiation, the background radiation out there in the universe, and try and find how that radiation is polarized. And from the polarization of the background radiation, which is supposedly dates back to the Big Bang, or nearby, they're concluding that they know something about the first trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a, trillionth of a second after the Big Bang, to which this correspondent would add, Oh, like hell they do. So, no, you're not going to hear Michio Kako or anybody else like that on this program, uh, probably at any point, talking about all these cockamamie theories about how the universe began. And I'll be very disappointed if Neil deGrasse Tyson wastes much of our time on that particular topic on Cosmos when there are so many other reality-based issues that we might focus on. And by the way, we should put in a plug for Brian Greene. He will be appearing at the Mondavi Center tonight. I've seen him do some pretty cool uh, science on late night television when he's not talking about string theory. I mean, that's interesting stuff, but it's, it's awful close to just, you know, pseudoscience or, I don't know, pseudo mathematics if there is such a thing. I do want to note in closing for this segment, we do get sent an awful lot of goofy stuff uh, to possibly include on this program. In fact, we were sent a blurb for a book titled, The Anunnaki Creation of Eve and the Alien Battle for Humanity. I learned a couple years ago that the Anunnaki are supposedly aliens that came to Earth and apparently this book by Chris Hardy describes the genetic engineering of humanity by Anunnaki scientist Ninma whose first female human creation Tiamat slash Eve apparently contained more alien DNA than the earlier male one Adamu she shows that the concepts of sin and the inferiority of women were born out of Enlil's attempts to enslave humanity but despite this ongoing history of conflict, we can begin to steer our own planetary destiny. Well, I hope so. On that note, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Severn.